Happy Father's Day. Don't don't think you will escape. I figure if I'm standing, you're going to stand too. I'd like all the fathers to stand, would you? <laughs> Max had a jump on everybody. No speeches, fellas. We could probably sum it up. I read this earlier, and this probably is about right. <laughs> Somebody said, by the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son and I had daughter who thinks he's wrong. It's pretty much the size of it, isn't it? I ask you to stand up because I want people to acknowledge you. But I want to acknowledge you. Not that I'm anybody special. I'm one of you. And now I want all of the men to stand. Anybody else that's not a father? All, all men. I want all men to stand. I don't have a speech prepared for you. And somebody said, you know, Mothers always get the accolades, right? They get the flowers, they get the gifts, they get... You you understand all that, right? You're part of that. And then when Father's Day comes, somebody said, you know, mothers always come in with their head held high. And if a sermon is preached concerning mothers, they always go out victorious, you know. Fathers come in and they get a sermon on what a good dad you should be and how you've not been all this year and so on and so forth, and we tend to go out with our heads held down. I cannot think of a, of a better privilege to have than to stand in the presence of fathers. I lost my father in November on Thanksgiving Day, so this year I won't be able to call him and say Happy Father's Day. My dad never took me to a ball game. I don't know if he knew the difference between a football and a baseball. My dad's idea of learning is if it's in you, it is. And if it is not, it isn't. And you are who you are. He played four or five different instruments. And I barely know how to turn on the radio now. I was sitting on the sofa with my dad a few years ago. My dad had a form of Alzheimer's and it took his mind. And so there were last few years where I think he knew who I was. Some of you, many of you probably relate to that. But he looked over at me and as often we would talk and laugh and we sat in the same spot all the time. And he looked over at me. Because my dad came to know the Lord when he was 55. Maybe some of you relate to that. And he said, I'm your father and your brother. And then it finally hit me. Now there's one thing that us fathers are really good at, not catching on until sometimes it's too late. Finally I realized irregardless of the relationship that I might have had with my father, and it was good, or that you may have had or do have with your father, 
there's one thing that can never be taken away. And that is He, my Father, and your earthly father gave you life because so, so that you could come to know the Heavenly Father. And for the first time in my life, I realized that into my 50s. So irregardless this morning, I know that someone said, you know, we always relate to the Heavenly Father based on how we relate to our earthly father. Maybe some of your relationships are not that good. Maybe some are mediocre. or Maybe your dad is your best friend. But if he's still alive, how about call him up today and say, hey, dad, tell you what. I want to thank you for something. I want to thank you for giving me physical life so I could come to know the Heavenly Father. I want to pray with you, not for you. Because I know that there are a lot of men in here that love Jesus. And I also know that there's a lot of men in here that are not perfect. But I do know that the Heavenly Father loves you unconditionally, irregardless of where you stand. And so I'd like to pray. Father, thank You for all the earthly fathers standing here that have given life to children for which now they have the privilege of coming to know the Heavenly Father. And thank you for all the fathers in the past, those that are fathers of men standing here this morning. Thank you for fathers have, who have went on. Irregardless of where all those fathers stood with you, they gave all of these men an opportunity because of physical birth to know You. And for that, we are grateful. We want to acknowledge You because of Your great love for all the fathers and for all the men today. And may we, as that song said, through our obedience, give our love back to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm glad you're here today. I'm, I'm glad that not only the fathers and the men are here today, but I'm glad all the women are too. It would be boring without you. I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We did last week an um, introduction somewhat to a two-part series. I feel a little uh, disadvantaged because the book of Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. One advantage that we have is that to this book is that it is um, rather mundane, actually, uh, most of it, because it talks about basically the same thing. He, the writer, we'll call, we said last week it very well could be Solomon. Some believe it was not. And in verse 1 of chapter 1, it uh, gives us the idea that it probably is, but he calls himself throughout the book the preacher, or the Spirit of God refers to him as the preacher. And there's one thing that he, he begins with and ends with, and that is that really life, there's not much to it when you take God out of the equation. I know that sounds simplistic, but that's the conclusion that he's going to come to today. And, and with any good book, you usually don't want to give away the 
conclusion because you give away a conclusion and the book's not fun to read. But if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's not many fireworks in it. I mean, it doesn't really compare to Genesis. It doesn't really hold light to it. It just doesn't. It's really rather blasé. I mean, if you read chapter 1 and 2 and and you keep reading, he's going to just keep telling, you know, I've tried all these things and I've lived this way and I've come to the point in my life where I realize it's all vain. It's all empty. It's all zero on the ledger side of my life. And so it's not going to change today. And so that's the advantage that we have of not covering the entire book. That I don't want to be disrespectful, but you're not going to miss a lot. If you don't get uh, you know, chapters 3 through almost chapter 12, which we're going to go to in just a second, but I don't think you'll be cheated too much. So that's the advantage that we have. Chapter 12, verse 1, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, or I think it's sort of neat. Scroll your iPad. I have not gotten used to that yet. Anybody that wants to teach me how to do that up here, I'm, I'm game. I'd try it once. I would probably be a miserable failure at it. I'm, I guess I'm old-fashioned. I still like printed page. i come around someday, I guess. But chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, beginning with verse 1, is really an analogy on the human body. And since the preacher was rather poetic, some of this you may understand, some of it you may not. We won't dwell on it too much, but he says this. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. And I looked at that verse and I thought, you know, many commentators say that's when you're young in age. But for my dad, when he came to know the Lord at 55, he was young. Some of you this morning may have come to know Jesus a year ago and you're 60 or 70 or 50 or whatever old is. And to you, that's young, isn't it? To you, you're just starting. So let's not mistake this for just age. I think that's important. Before the sun, the light, the moon, and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain, I mean, days pass, time moves on, you get old fast. Anybody here with me? It gets, it passes fast. In the day that the watchmen or the keepers of the house tremble, the hands, the arms, the head, and the mighty men stoop, the legs give out, the grinding ones, the teeth stand idle because they are few or need to be replaced. And those who look through windows, the eyes grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And the strength and the energy that you used to have are no longer there. Or it wasn't what it used to be. And 
one who will rise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing, sing softly. I mean, the hearing begins to go. What was that you said? My wife has to repeat a lot of things to me. But my hearing is fine. Verse 5, furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road, the almond tree blossoms. Uh, amen to that. Grasshopper drags himself along in the caperberry. This is all poetic stuff to the preacher. And then man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Verse 6, the silver cord is broken. Some believe that's the spinal cord, but the soul and the body is just severed and they put you in a hole, guys. <laughs> it's pretty much the bottom line. So, the preacher says, before that happens, remember your Creator. Now, I know you're busy, men. I know there's a lot of things to do in life. As a matter of fact, you're thinking right now what you're going to do after this service is over, are you not? Would anybody stand and testify that that's what you're thinking? That's the way we're geared. That's who we are. But I want you to take a few moments this morning to, if you can't gear your mind down, and ladies, don't zone out on me because, well, this is not for me. This is for everybody. I mean, Solomon's not speaking to just men here. He's speaking to everybody. It relates to male and female. It relates, it relates to young and old. It relates to all of us. Remember God, your Creator, in your youth. Remember what the preacher said last week? I always like when a teacher sits in class and says, okay now, what did we cover last week? And all of a sudden your mind just goes into a, it just freezes, doesn't it? I mean, you're intelligent, you got a memory, if someone says anything to you, you can recall it like that, especially if it's to our advantage. But when the teacher says, what did we talk about last week? You're like, oh, Lord, I hope he doesn't call on me. I hope she doesn't call on me because I don't remember. Well, that's what teachers and preachers are for. And as soon as they start reminding you, you go, oh yeah, that's, that's what we talked about. Remember how the preacher talked about searching for wisdom and more knowledge and what it brought? Do you remember what he said? The more knowledge I have, it seems like the more grief I have and the more pain. And then he goes on to say in chapter 1, the personal pleasure which he tried ends in a and produces a hollow journey in the, ma the amassing of great wealth netted him zero gain, really, in life. Self-gratification brought about a sense of vanity and striving after wind. Remember that? That's what he said. And you say, well, I know he said all that, but even as a Christian, you know, I wouldn't mind to try it. I said to somebody one time, you know, I really don't want to be rich. But if I was a multimillionaire, I wouldn't mind to try it for a while. Just to see what it's like. But yet, someone could say to me, if you had a lot of money, it would cause you a lot of problems. And I would say, well, I want to try anyway and see if it does cause some problems. I don't think for me it would. 
The preacher is going to say to his audience, I can attest to the fact that for me, this is what happened when I sought all these things. And not as a replacement for God, but just some fill-in. You know, you, you may say this morning, I have a relationship with Jesus, but there's a few other things I'd like. And so it's difficult sometimes for us to believe in our heart and live in our life, which is what really he's going to talk about in the last two verses of this book. And Wes alluded to part of it when he, when he sang that song and led us in trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what the conclusion that the preacher is going to come to. And, and not only is the book blasé, but if you just read over that, that really is not much to that. If you're looking for adventure, spiritual adventure. But if you're sincere, you've come to the right place. He says, in addition, in verse 9 of the last chapter, chapter 12, in addition to being a wise man, it tells us a little bit more about the preacher. Remember in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, it told us a little bit about who he was and some of what he had done. The preacher also taught, taught people knowledge. He pondered, he searched out, and he arranged many proverbs. The preacher in verse 10 sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. He's an honorable man. He meant well. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They hit the point. What he did in the lives of people hit the point. And they're given by one shepherd. Somebody, somebody that truly cares about his people. I mean, he did things for his people that he felt would be beneficial to them. For them. And I think that's important to know. Because he says, but beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless. An excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. All those good things, all those proverbs, all those sayings, all that encouragement through writing and speaking to His people, He still had a warning to them, if that's what your focus is on, it'll wear you down. It'll take a lot out of you. It'll make you less than what God intends for you to be. So, this is what the preacher is going to say in verse 13. This is the finale. This is the final thing that requires some serious, serious consideration in verse 13. Now we're going to get in this and some of you are just going to tune out. You're going to tune out. Because you say, I know I've heard this before, and you know, it's, it's, this is elementary stuff. And, but then some of you are going to listen. And those are the ones, the Spirit of God is going to do a good work in the heart. Verse 13. Here's the conclusion. Here's the finale. When all has been heard, when all has been said and done, is two things. Now, you can underline these in your Bible. If you do not believe in writing in your Bible, you can write them down somewhere. I think they would be beneficial. The preacher would say this would be beneficial. 
Repetition is an amazing thing. The more you hear the truth, the better it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. Wow. That's it? After 12 chapters, that's the best preacher that you can come up with? By the way, I, I wish a lot of preachers today would preach like this. I do. I say uh, many times, I shared this, this is sort of private. I'm embarrassed with a lot of preachers today. Ours is not one of them. I'm grateful that we have Ryan who loves the Word of God because he loves Jesus. And I'm not trying to embarrass you, Ryan, or put you on the spot. I've said this before. We're we're fortunate. And we are blessed to have a preacher that loves Jesus, cares about His Word, and an associate pastor, Wes, our music director, who as well loves the Lord and loves His Word. And it's obvious. But I wish a lot more preachers would preach simple like Ryan does in the Word. Because that's all that the preacher's doing here. He says, guys, when all is said and done, when the final curtain drops, there are only two things that really matter. Is that you fear God and obey Him. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament, because the Old Testament is so graphic when it talks about the believer's relationship with God, isn't it? I mean, where else can you go? Where can you go in the New Testament that says more than once, if you do not obey God, you might die? As a matter of fact, some that did not obey God did die. I mean, where can you go in the New Testament and hear that? Where can you go in the New Testament and even get a glimpse of that? Because after Jesus came, Things didn't change, but they were fulfilled. And man no longer had to die because Jesus paid it all. Aren't you glad? So you don't get that sentiment. You don't even get that suggestion in the New Testament. You may get a hint, but it's not like that. But in the Old Testament, this is, these two things are really connected many times. To fear God and to obey Him. Tied together. Inseparable. God offers every believer a meaningful life. There's one thing that I'm grateful for is that the Heavenly Father gave us a will. There's a lot of people that believe that that when you became a Christian, you became a puppet. You know, and you just sort of, God sort of directs your life and, you know, you, you veer off a little bit here and a little bit there. But, I mean, in the end, He controls everything. Now, I don't say that I understand this. But I'm glad that God gave every man a free will. That He put before us His Son and said, My Son died for you, shed His blood and rose again. Believe us about this. That's what I said. You believe that? If you believe that, you will have the gift of eternal life. 
not only will you have the gift of eternal life, but you will have your sins forgiven. And they will be as if they were never, ever before a part of your life. Believest thou this? He says, you believe that? I give you that privilege. I give you that free will to believe that. As a result of that, as a believer, we have a free will to say to God the Father as a Christian, I choose not to reverence you. I, I can't imagine how that would be, but it definitely is possible. To reverence God is something that He never, never not intended. Can I do that? Preachers can get away with bad. I'm bad at English anyway, so I guess I just might as well say what's on my mind. I mean, He never meant for that not to be. He always meant for us to reverence Him and love Him and respect Him and honor Him. He never meant for us not to have a meaningful life. He wants that. He wants every person in this room to have a meaningful life. How does that happen? As a believer... I'm not talking to the unbelievers. If you sit here this morning and you say, I have no clue what you're talking about. You said, this is foreign to me. I've heard it before, but I don't understand it. This is for the individual that says this morning, I know Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died for me, shed His blood, rose again. I believe that. And not only do I believe that, I accept that. To be true. To be a fact. This is a person I think that the preacher is speaking to. I do. So it's important. This is critical. When all is said and done, the conclusion on the entire search of what life is about is to fear God. You know, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says it's a starting point. The fear of the Lord, some of you will know this verse, is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Well, it's a starting point. Reverencing God is a starting point. That's where we jump off the platform into the water. And then, I like this too, in, in Psalm 19.9, it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's sanctifying. It's, I mean, it sets us apart. Have you ever heard somebody say about you, you or someone that you knew that's a believer, there's something different about that person. I mean, something unique about that person. And that, that individual that was saying that didn't know what it was, but they knew that you were different. And I'm going to guess that the reason that they sensed something different about you is that you were set apart. You were different than the people they know. And I realized this morning that there are a few young people in here now, let me say this to you. When I say young people, like junior high, high school, young adults, particularly high schoolers, as a believer, as a Christian, you think, well, I've got to be a part of the in crowd. Uh, by the way, that's nothing new. Your dad did it. And his dad did it. And his dad did it. It's called peer pressure. And we just want to be like everybody else. But yet when you stand out and you're unique because you've been sanctified is the Word and you've been set apart because you reverence God and you love the Lord, people see that. 
and all you old people that work. Anybody above 19. People at work see that too. And you say, well, not many people say anything about it, but people are thinking. People are thinking something different about that person. That's what the fear of God, the reverence for the Lord does. And the preacher knows that. And I'm going to guess that he knew that before he wrote it. I'm going to guess he knew that as he was living this life. Chapters 1 through almost 12 of his life. I'm going to guess he knew it then. How many times did he acknowledge it? We don't know. How many times did he think it? I don't know. But at the end, when everything was said and done, he's going to say to us two things that mean everything to the believer. Reverence God and do what He says. Fearing God, Proverbs 14.27 says, is very satisfying. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. I want to say this, and I know that personalities play into this. You ever see a Christian that seems bubbly and happy? Now, this is not going to always be the case because personality plays in this. Some of you are just weird. You just you're smile you smile. If somebody hits you in the back of the head with a stick, you would smile. I wish I was like that. You know, if your dog dies, you'll smile. If your horse runs away, you'll smile. If somebody breaks into your car, I mean, it seems like you're happy about everything. And those kind of people are just, they're different. But I aspire to be like that. And then there are some of you, before your horse gets, before your horse runs away or somebody breaks in your car or your house or whatever, you're complaining about everything. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that other person. So I realize that what I'm about to say, personality plays a part. Have you ever seen people that are just, no matter what happens and you know they're a believer, it's like nothing phases them. There's something satisfying about reverencing God. Isn't there? There's something about those people that love Jesus and no matter what happens, they still do. I think that's what he's talking about here. I mean, this is not something that that you can't define. I mean, it's not one of those theological concepts that you can't wrap your mind around. He's saying, guys, I'm telling you that, that when you reverence God, it's, a, it, it's, it's the starting point. When you reverence God, it's, it sets you apart. When you reverence God, it's very satisfying. That's why he's trying to get across. And then he says the second thing. Keep His commandments. I do not believe for a moment that the preacher would flip these. Nor do you and I either. None of us. I don't think he would flip these. I don't think they can be flipped. And so before we get this big idea that, you know, if I do this and this and this and this, that will make God happy. No. No. No, it won't. There are people in this world that in Mexico it's said that there are many people that are extremely religious. 
And they have a day a year where they crawl on glass on their knees to show the Lord how much they love Him. There are many countries in the world where people are religious that they do things and we say, what? Come again? These can't be flipped. The, the first is the first because it's meant to be. I do not think it's possible to be all that God wants us to be according to the preacher to not reverence God first. That's the starting point. That's the jumping off point. So once that's established in your life, then you can begin to do what He says do. Now I'm here to tell you, if, if any of us in this room want to change the world spiritually, as a believer, begin to, to think highly of God. That's what it's all about. You don't have to know everything about Him. As a matter of fact, you never will. You'll know very little by the time you give up the ghost and, and meet the preacher wherever, wherever he's buried. You won't know much. But one thing would be endless. Having a high regard for God. Having a high regard for Jesus. Having a high regard for who He is. Then once that's established, and once you begin to see how it sets you apart and it's very satisfying to your soul and spirit and mind and body, then the obedience part begins can begin to kick in. Because he's going to say the second part of this is to keep his commandments. Obedience is the outward demonstration of inward devotion to God. In other words, reverencing God is the inward part. Obedience is the outward part. Is that, is that good? Sort of like a coin. Heads is reverence for God. Tails is obedience. It's pretty simple. And after all that, he's, he wants it to be simple because it is. Reverence God and then obey Him. Keep His commandments. Psalm 1, 11, verse 10 says, The beginning of wisdom is a good understanding. Have all those who keep His commandments. And Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, Obedience comes from the heart. An inward reverence for God and then an outward demonstration of what's already inside. I'll say this again. I don't want to be redundant, but I guess I will. If you try to flip that, it doesn't work. And I don't want to be irreverent to God and even use that term, it doesn't work, because that's not the way God operates. He's not trying to steer you in some way because He wants accolades. He does desire to be honored. And he does desire to be reverenced. But I believe this. That in my own personal life, there is nothing I could do, nothing I could say, nowhere I could go in this world that it would honor God more than reverencing Him. Having a high, high, as much as possible in my human mind, soul, and body regard for God, Jesus His Son, 
the Spirit of God who indwells in me, nothing. And if that's the case in my life, then obedience flows out from that as an outward show of what I think about God in my heart and mind and soul. Does that make sense? As some great preacher said, does that make sense? It does to the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there is no doubt that Scripture draws a conclusion that applies to everyone. You know how I know? Because it says, Fear God, reverence God, keep His commandments, because this applies to everyone. <laughs> I mean, I can't escape this. I, I would. Why would a believer want to escape that? To know that someone loved me this much, I, I cannot even begin to wrap my mind around how bad I was and how bad you were and that God still loved me and that He, he said, He said, I don't want you to pay the penalty that you should pay. Hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send my son. He can pay it. You know why? Because I love you. I love you. I just can't wrap my mind. I, just, I still can't. I've been a Christian for 40 some years and I just can't. I, I know it's true, but I can't. Is it, is that, do I get a witness? Can I, can I have a testimony here that you believe that? That You just can't wrap your mind around that. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. And what he's requiring is because of that love, he wants reverence. He wants his subjects to love him, to honor him, to have a high valuation of him, if you want to put it like that, of who he really is. And then as a result of that, that obedience will come out in outward show and the world will see who God is. I love that. And I know I've got a few other things to say and I'm not going to muddy the water. I'm not going to drag this on because I think that's all that needs to be said. I, I think in Proverbs chapter 3 is, is a great way to close. Would you turn there? Proverbs 3. Many of you know these verses already, especially verses 5 and 6. You could quote them probably. But this is a great way to close the message today. Proverbs and it's right before Ecclesiastes. We put it there so it wouldn't be difficult for anybody. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, if Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to say that we believe he wrote the book of Proverbs. So to read this is nothing new. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Sounds like the, the preacher in, in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verse 13, doesn't it? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. That sounds similar. I didn't get what I said previously from this passage. I want you to know that. He's, just, he's echoing the same thing he said. He do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. You see, says this is how you do it. With all your heart. And like the preacher did for much of his life, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. Or He will make your path straight. Does the reverence of God motivate you from within? And I don't even, I hesitate to use that word because what does it really mean? But has your relationship with Jesus caused you to have a higher regard for God than the person who does it? Does the reverence for God seem ever growing and Every day that you live, it seems like you think more of who He is. And as a result of that, reverence for God, does it... Well, I shouldn't say does it because it's almost like something we do, but do you see obedience coming out of that? Because when it's all said and done, that's the bottom line. Let's pray.